Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Kirschman, along with co-host Andy Dolich and our uh, amazing guest today in Sean O'Hara. Uh, really excited for this conversation to get started. Sean is the Director of Corporate Partnerships at Legends with the new Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jake and Andy. It's uh, been great listening to what you guys have been putting together and, and again, sharing content, uh, which is so critical right now as everybody's craving it and just hearing different people's perspectives on uh, what life is like uh, for people as they continue to grow in their career. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and I would uh, I would be ashamed if I didn't acknowledge that, that the three of us right now on the podcast are Bobcats. Uh, so, Sean, uh, we've had quite a few of, you know, your Bobcat family members on. And when, when you think about uh, the OU family and the opportunities it's, you know, allowed, uh, you know, someone like yourself to be able to take advantage of throughout your career, uh, Andy calls himself the poster child. Um, when, when you graduated from OU and then, and then we'll let Andy kind of step in. You know, what was your career plan thought? Did you imagine you'd be living in Vegas right now? No, I, I had no idea. I think uh, initially uh, I was that guy who came out of the program was like, I don't want to move around a lot in my career. Uh, so I initially, having done an internship in San Francisco, being on the West Coast and being like, wow, that's really far from home, different time zone. I thought, man, I'll, I'll go to Chicago and this great city, which I fell in love with given the Midwest culture of Ohio and I'll just work there and network. And if I have to move a job you know, there's so many agencies and so many companies, I'll stay there. And uh, that quickly changed uh, three years into my uh, career. And I had a chance to go home to Philly and, uh, and then, yeah, here I am living in Vegas in 2020. Jake, that brings up the point. I think of all the, people that have graduated from Ohio University, I wonder if there's anybody that said, oh, well, yeah, I absolutely knew I would be in this position four years later. Uh, because if we identify that person, we know they're not a truth teller. That's just my, that's just my <laughs> gut feeling. And yeah, you look at all the touch points that we've had. You and I have talked about this, Sean. I want somebody to do a project undergrad or, at, or grad at OU and a list of every single team and every single event and every single venue that OU graduates have worked for. Would that be one heck of a spreadsheet? Wow. Yeah, that, that would uh, definitely um, cover some, some mileage. You might have to be uh, able to wrap the, the building a few times with that, that list. Sean, when, when you talk about, you know, Andy just mentioned projects, events, this, that, and the other, you know, one would, if they're working in sports, would dream of working for their hometown team, right? Especially a, a diehard fan base like the Eagles. And one would ask, why, why would you leave your hometown team uh, to go out west to Las Vegas, where it's somewhat of an unproven sports market, right? Uh, obviously, it's it's gaining its steam every day, but uh, what was kind of the thought behind that? A lot of it had to do with opportunity. A lot of it also had to do with uh, mentorship. I think the great part about I've been fortunate in my career to be 
around some great people. And, you know, I think the, the best bosses uh, challenge you and challenge you when to, to get better at your job that you're currently in, as well as push you to say, Hey, you've done as much as you can, you need to move on. And so one of the people that hired me at the Eagles was Molly Arbogast. And so she had, uh, was just an incredible leader and, and uh, shaper of my, myself and my growth. And, you know, we had talked uh, a lot, even beyond the time when she left and I was still there at the Eagles of trying to figure out, okay, what's next, you know? And I think a lot of times people, you look at your career uh, and your, your time at organizations, almost like high school or college, right? You know, the first year you're like, holy shit, you're figuring it out, you're a freshman. And then sophomore, you, your second year, you're getting the hang of things. But in your third or fourth year, you really got this thing going. And if you're not continually given more responsibilities or more things to learn, you know, the, the doers of the world, the people that are driven to do something different will look for something else. And I think that was the time where I was fortunate enough to have some success to the Eagles, but, you know, I think I took a hard look at, it's like, is this it? Um, and again, uh, advisors were like, you know, look, projects like this only come around so often. And, uh, if you look at the landscape, right, for the NFL, I mean, these two new stadiums they built in L.A. and in Vegas, you know, when's the next one? I think people have talked about Buffalo or Washington, but who knows when that comes to life. And then the fact that this stadium here was coming to a market like Vegas, where until 2017 had never had professional sports. So there was just some unique circumstances. And, uh, and I think that's where – uh, you have to have your aligned values and trust too. If you're going to make that leap of faith, you're taking the right hand. And uh, I trusted myself in uh, another Ohio Bobcat, Eric Sudall. And uh, he's a, an amazing salesperson and he did a, quite a sales job on me. And, uh, but it, it's been one of the better decisions I've ever made. Yeah. If Sudall would just come out of his shell, I think he'd have some upside in his career. Would you agree, Sean? Yeah. I mean, he, he just needs to work a little bit harder. Uh, he's just, uh, he's so tied down to his desk. Now he, he uh, he's an amazing uh, salesperson that's tra traveled the country and was doing so much. And uh, I'm excited to report that he, again, he's uh, at a point now where he's back in Dallas and not on a uh, pre COVID too. Uh, wasn't on a plane every other week coming to Vegas to work on this thing. But uh just a great inspirational leader. So you, you touched on it before, and there are people in the listening audience and others that see the incredible new venues that are being built all around the world, and we are in the world of sports. Um, and let's put aside COVID-19 for a second, but the sort of aha moments for you um, in being involved in uh, Allegiant and in uh, Englewood. And I always, I, I guess my analogy is I look at it as the proud parent of three parents of their own or three uh, um, parents of kids that I guess I have grandkids, five of them. But the nine month gestation period of bringing a newborn into the world and then the wonder of those first few years as the newborn is growing up, um, it, take us into that time 
that you're involved in a new project or projects of this scope? Yeah, I mean, you're, it's a great way to articulate it because for us, what made it unique and, and different from the Golden Knights in this era is like, you know, they were born here and that became, again, their tagline, we're born in Vegas, but you, you had this renowned uh, franchise in the Raiders who had were playing in the oldest stadium in, uh, I think, professional sports. And so they had always been just trying to find a way to get something done. So the fact that they got it done and then the fact that Las Vegas, you know, had always been wanting professional sports. You talk about a, a, a perfect marriage in terms of bringing these communities together of fans and then the proximity that it has to those two marketplaces. But uh, from the standpoint of doing one of these projects, I mean, it is uh, again, like a startup kind of atmosphere because you're coming in and everything is new. So how are we going to build this stadium? How, what are the assets? How are we going to plug this together? How, how is this going to look? And I mean, and you have to go all the way down in detail to, you know, Hey, is there going to be electricity behind that wall? Okay, great. <laughs> you know, and then, and then we can plug that in and put a sign there and, Oh, you know, Hey, we want to do this. Uh, but, we don't have electric running there. So, okay, well, are people going to be able to see the sign at nighttime? So there's just so many things that come in that you don't even think about. And so for the uh, time of being on a project like this, Andy and, and Jake, I think one of the other things is you're just running so fast. And then like, we're all given these clocks, which I laugh about. I'm still looking at the one on my desk. It's a countdown clock. And it's just like, here's the to project completion. And right now it says, 69 days till project completion, which is July 31st. Um, and, you know, at some point you're looking at it and it's like, oh, it's 350 days. Okay, we got time. And it's like, and it's just like, I mean, it, it goes so fast and you run so hard. But I think the other thing is once you are finding success and these things are coming together, I mean, I can't wait to walk into the, the stadium and see some of these ideas that we sketched out on napkins, uh, come to life when you think about the size and the scale right one might think why well, you know i put together a minor league ballpark right that might seat 5,000 or uh to andy's point you go to the opposite extreme with the the one that's being built in englewood that's five billion dollars and you try and wrap your head around that and all the things to your point that go into it well, when you think about the sponsorship dollars and all the different constituents that are involved, I mean, can you kind of take us through a high level of all the different people uh, that you have to work with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to get things done from an approval standpoint? Yeah, I'll try to, again, summarize it as best I can. I think you've got us who the Raiders hired to represent uh, on sponsorships and premium and so and tickets so all that front and then you have uh, the Raiders organization who mind you was playing uh, two full football seasons in Oakland still while the team was building this stadium so they're still trying to manage current partnerships that they have and then you have a building group and CA icon that's responsible for making sure the project stays on time and on budget. And then you have Morton's and McCarthy, the joint venture that's building it. And then you have a concessionaire Levy that's coming in and making sure that, that all the 
the pouring taps and the, the framework of the clubs and the restaurants are set up for food service. And then you have uh, a facilities operator and uh, ASM Global come in that have facilities set up from an event perspective that it can run and have all the lights and bells and whistles to run from an operations perspective. So a lot of key constituents sitting at the table. And so I think the thing that uh, we did a good job of was, okay, how do we build this in a way that ultimately will uh, we can bring this to the table and always, I think that a key in sponsorship is give yourself flexibility. Don't, don't put yourself into a corner when it comes to uh, okay, here's what we believe it is today because during these projects, things change. And we quickly found out, for instance, uh, on the premium side, we initially had thought, okay, we don't necessarily maybe need as many suites because, you know, Las Vegas is the 40th largest market, right? And there's not as many Fortune uh, 1,500 companies that are headquartered here. But the way that they were consumed so quickly uh, when we went to market with them, it quickly made us pivot and go, yep, we got to do that whole same thing that we were planning on this side of the stadium on that side of the stadium. With your background with the Eagles, uh, being a Philly guy and with the Raiders, there's no two fan bases that are any more avid and have the DNA of their teams flowing through their veins than those two. Um, how do you bring and stadiums are incredible and venues and there's glass and steel and metal and concrete and rebar. But if you don't have a heart and soul and, and I've been around uh, many stadiums in many different sports, some nail it in terms of having a heart and soul in, in bricks and mortar with such an incredible fan base and history as the Raiders have had. Um, what types of programs, how do you look at making sure that Allegiant um, works in continuing this incredible story and relationship between the team and its fan base? You know, it's, it's a great question. I, I, lo I love that because I think uh, we always, I always got kind of teased by my, my friends in the industry. They're like, oh, wow going from the Eagles to the Raiders, two really passionate fan bases. And they may have used a different word <laughs> passionate to describe those yeah, this, fan uh, yeah, bases. This is a, uh, this is a uh, children rated show. So yeah, we have family <laughs> rated. But, uh, but uh, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the DNA, that was such an important part of Mark Davis uh, and his ownership and, taking the ownership from his father, Al Davis. I mean, and that's, I think, I think the remarkable part that a lot of people outside of sports and even some inside of sports still don't recognize is that, you know, the professional sports landscape, you know, a, long before all these billionaires came in and started buying teams were family businesses. And there's still a lot of family businesses out there. And so I think, you know, you look at the Raiders, you know, they're not a, a run by a, a leader that, you know, owned a, another business and came in, this has been his, their whole life. And so they've built up this great brand um, that connects to so many people. And uh, I think the way that they authenticated that to make sure that it stayed true to that was how they, uh, you know, told different stories and had certain areas for their fans and as well as to, you know, uh, growing and, and, 
into the 20th century. I think one one of the things that people were so scared about was, uh, oh, you know, those fans are so tough. I don't want to be in the black hole. What is that going to be like? And it's like, well, this is not Oakland anymore. So this is Las Vegas. There still will be our passionate fan base, but it will be a different way of that. And I think you've seen that by the way that ticket sales have gone and, and we've been able to pull a large percentage still from Oakland and uh, the LA area. But uh, as it relates to their fan base, I think one of the things that's kind of the main touch points of the stadium is we've got this eternal flame and torch. And I think every stadium has like their unique parts. Ours is this eternal torch in the one end zone that is eight stories high and will be a flame that, Similar to like the Olympics, again, this is where Al Davis got it from the team playing in the Coliseum in the 80s and 90s. You know, he, he brought this torch back to uh, Oakland. And so his phrase was the passion that burns brightest is the will to win. And so every game, similar to what the 12th man does with the Seattle Seahawks and raising a flag, they will light this torch. And that will, again, unite and bring all of our fans together. Yeah, I, I have this vision in my head of the first game that you play there. There's a fan from Oakland next to a new black holer in uh, Las Vegas, and he turns to him in his costume, you know, Luke, I am your father. And, right, <laughs> and they're already way, you know, they're already on the same wavelength, and boom, you know, the black hole of the future lives on. Yeah, and I think, too, it's like uh, this is what's going to make this stadium in particular. And I, I was enticed so much is like, you know, Vegas is a destination. It's the live entertainment capital of the world. And so even if you can't go to the game, you're going to want to be there for the weekend. And so I think that's helped us, Jake, back to your point of the sponsorship process. That was a huge part of what's our story? What is our story going to be to the marketplace because Vegas had never been sold before. The Raiders had been sold before. Vegas a little bit, but the NFL had never been there. And so how are we going to um, share that story with the world? And I think, you know, one of the quick artifacts that we you know uncovered was NASA deems uh, Las Vegas the brightest spot on Earth uh, with, again, all the lights and the bells and whistles. So we played on that factor and, and made that part of our story that we're ultimately going to make brands shine brighter by uh, telling their story to the, the Vegas marketplace through the NFL, through the Raiders and through the stadium. Jake, Jake, didn't well, you, Jake, you, didn't you, you mean, tell you, me that Athens, Ohio was the brightest spot on earth? <laughs> didn't you once tell me that? No, uh, I don't, I don't recall that conversation, uh, okay. but yeah. perhaps, perhaps, but I mean, you know, <laughs> Sean, when you think about, the the experience to Andy's point of, of what's going to happen um you know we had we had Brian Killingsworth on the, the CMO of the Vegas Golden Knights to talk about how they approached you know the the fact that they are to your point the 40th smallest market but you're attracting people from all over so it's always it's actually an advantage from a sponsorship and a brand uh, standpoint because you're getting people in when you guys play the Packers or the Chiefs or the Broncos, right? You're going to get a lot more fans. And whether that's, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, it's going to be probably a pretty colorful stadium to some extent, uh, just because of the nature of, of that beast in the sense of, of the being the destination. From a sponsor standpoint, how has that helped you guys 
go out and sell a little bit differently, knowing that you can not only sell locally and regionally, but really more nationally than anything else. Hey, it's been a tremendous help. I mean, I think we like to liken it that, hey, this is you buying a, a, a league sponsorship, right? You're buying the NFL because every team will have come and played through the stadium in the first seven years. And so you're going to reach those audiences um, because, as I said, whether you're uh, going to the game or not, you're coming to the marketplace. So for uh, while, yes, they were heavily invested because, again, they have properties here, but MGM and Caesars, they have properties all across the country. So they're able to bring droves of folks to this marketplace. And then I think the other thing was thinking of, again, yes, there's this entertainment factor, but Vegas is also, uh, I think it's maybe only second to Orlando. I mean, they do 22,000 conventions a year. So it's an amazing place where business is getting done. And so now what makes the venue so unique is, and I think it's a, a great study, right? You've seen this huge change and pivot in stadiums and how they're being built. At one point it was like, Hey, let's put them out where there's space. You can build parking lots around. And now it's been like, let's bring them back into the urban environment and closer to the city. And so our stadium sits right across the street from the Mirage. And if you've been to Vegas, it's one of the most easiest cities to navigate. I mean, you get in, you land on your plane, you're in an Uber, you're, you're downtown in, in, in 10 minutes, if that. And so now with our stadium being so proximal in those conventions, those, those conventions aren't just for, you know, uh, the masses, they're, they're company-wide things. So the Microsoft's of the world or Cisco might be holding a sales convention for their, their team leaders because they just need to leverage the hotels room. So this, this building became more, uh, and I think that then the Raiders and thinking more about, okay, how you're using it every other day of the year. And so, yes, we're going to attract these huge events like this, the college football playoff and the Super Bowls and the Final Fours. But we've got these immaculate spaces that will be utilized by companies uh, that are global and, and national to host their private events throughout the year or to because they're, again, they're already doing their convention here. And now they just got this incredible tool to just amplify it and make it that much. You know, better. Sean, somebody once said, you know, a path with no obstacles isn't worthy of uh, navigating. And I was just thinking about the, mag you know, the incredible challenge that the Golden Knights had in that horrific shooting in Vegas and, and the incredible job they did of being sort of the blanket around the community to help bring them back. And now you guys are dealing with something incredibly more complicated um, in terms of COVID-19. A, what lessons, if any, did you learn uh, from the Golden Knights? And how has this level of complication and some level of uncertainty once you open up, whether it's with fans, without fans, some percentage, um, you know, somebody is going to write a graduate school uh, paper on how you've handled it and how all of sports has handled it. What are a few of the highlights that you've dealt with in this incredibly complex time? I think it's uh, not being too quick to act. I think it's being able to listen. I think the Golden Knights, you're 100% right. It just did an amazing job. 
And look, people just did not think that would work. Hockey in the desert wasn't going to work. I mean, it didn't necessarily work in Arizona as well. So how is it going to work in Vegas? But I think that uh, unfortunate event quickly brought the ability for the community to heal and come together. And that's the beauty of sports. And that's what I think a lot of organizations and specifically in sponsorships, you know, we're looking at right now is, okay, let us help tell that story for you. Let us, and the Raiders were smart. Um, and again, a lot of this credit goes to Mark Bedane and, and Mark Davis is they knew that that community was going to be huge here, uh, given the fact that a professional sports didn't exist. So the first person they put on the ground uh, from a uh, personnel standpoint was a VP of community relations. And they quickly started doing these grassroots activities and connecting with individuals. We re uh, reestablished our, our Raiders foundation. And so that became uh, huge to show good faith to the community that we already uh, are, are here to support you and build that. Cause there were, again, so many people that are excited, but for us to be just firmly out there doing those things, and I think for us now, how we handle it moving forward, I think, you know, we've tried to figure out, okay, look, uh, people have put down substantial uh, amounts of money to pay for tickets uh, and premium seat licenses. You know, do we want to uh, charge them for those bills, which they initially were due uh, at the end of March when, you know, you look down the strip and every, uh, casino is closed. And I think they've taken the approach that, hey, uh, we are a family business. And these people are part of our family. Our fans are part of our family. And we need to be able to listen to and not be tone deaf. So I think leadership has done a great job of, of doing that. And I think going forward, they're going to be doing what's right to support the community. So, you know, wh whether it's first responders, whether it's nurses, whether it's anybody that's involved in this, how can we help out and support? And uh, when it comes to, you know, this stadium, I, I envision, you know, there being, which a lot of good teams have done is, look, we, we are going to be sold out for uh, all of our football games. So how do I get the everyday person that may not have tickets into the stadium? How can I do a, a free event, like whether it's a practice or something, and allowing them to touch and feel our brand and give back in a way that, um, you know, helps them, again, feel good about something in a world right now where it's difficult to do that. Sean, as, as you think about there's no time like the present, right? And, and as we wrap up this episode, I'll, I'll, I'll lead with our last question in that, you know, you think about, obviously, what, what you just mentioned with, with how you help the community, but you still at some point you have to have that vision for what's two years to come, three years, five years to come in, in the sense of what this project will ultimately become, right? Just as you had when your clock was at however many days when it first started and ultimately ticking to zero, as you guys, you know, manage the, the process leading up to Andy's point to kind of the, the present now and then how you look at it in the future, what are some things that you guys are constantly trying to learn from others uh, or, or pick, you know, the brains of others that have done this already of, of, Hey, what do we need to know in year three or year five that we don't know right now? I think a key thing is that we knew that whatever we do now and have, have a set 
in order to keep our stadium up to date, it's not like, all right, we just put it on the shelf. There are going to be those things and, and reinvestments into the stadium. So I think we looked at things as not being permanent, but like, okay, let's make it the best we can for now. But also knowing that, you know, if this is such an outlier that we might find that this is going to change. And how do we make sure we set ourselves up that we can pivot and do that change? And so like, you know, for instance, one of the biggest concerns on the stadium was parking. You know, here we have an urban stadium. We, we have limited parking. Uh, so there's only, again, I'm trying to think of that number, uh, but if, unless you have a suite or a, a, a premium seat, you, you don't have parking. So we worked on this relationship with all the other uh, warehouses and environments and other casinos to, to get us close to 15, 20,000 spaces. Um, but, you know, what we could have done and probably would have been the wrong solution is, oh, let's let's just, you know, buy up a bunch of warehouses and knock them down and turn them into parking lots. Like, let's see what the market does. Let's see how people decide to, to come to the games. And then we can, again, reflect that and be uh, reactive to that. So um, and then I think just one of the other things is just we uh, our goal for legend we wanted to have naming rights done a year in advance we hit that goal with a legion and then one of the things i think we learned from this is how you build momentum and so we uh planted a lot of seeds and so that once we did that we had all of our partners kind of edging to announce uh one after another and so we we gave them that huge voice uh for an entire week but tried to spread them out every other week and so that momentum in the marketplace and that excitement of every two weeks of these big founding partners being excited helped us on the sponsorship side because one we were able to use it as a calling card of like hey we need to get these deals done now and then two it helped us from a, a momentum side with the raiders and the building that hey okay this sponsor is just signed now we don't have to worry about this club name is now the Modelo club or this, you know, and, and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's, I think the last thing I would say is building a stadium is like getting that 10,000 piece of uh, puzzle and you're just chipping away at it. You're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, I I'm quite confident that, you know, if we were playing it and had our first event on August 1st, uh, one of the builders joked about with me, he's like, Sean, if we're doing an event on August 1st, he's like, we'll be putting plants in the night before, but we'll get it. We'll get there. We'll have the plants out front. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. I mean, obviously, you know, everything in this day and age needs to be able to be pivoted and, and changed almost on, on the, the turn of a hat in the sense of, of our ever-evolving society uh, exponentially growing as you know andy any last words uh for for sean and, and there's nothing any more complex than uh getting a team of people working together building uh, a, a new sports venue especially one with 65 or seventy thousand seats and teamwork is really important in our society every day so the medical uh geniuses and the scientists can help find a way that we can start getting back with a level of trust and safety to celebrate what sports is all about. So Sean, wishing you uh, as much good luck uh, in your community as the rest of the world is looking at and uh, go Raiders. 
No, I, I appreciate it, guys, and I, I couldn't agree more. And, again, I, I think I'd be remiss without saying that you're right. The teamwork, uh, that was something that Eric always challenged us with is that, you know, when we looked around the room and we were stressed and we were – it was long days and it was challenging and the conversations, you know, I think he helped kind of reset us and take a step back to think, hey, this is a privilege. Uh, what we're doing right now, this pressure we're under – the stress that we're under, it's a privilege to feel that because unfortunately not that many people get to open up a stadium in their lifetime. And we were fortunate enough to, to be a part of something like that. And so I think we'll reflect back to that to, and we'll laugh. And I think we've all joked, uh, no matter where we go in life, you know, this will be a place that we'll all come back to. and celebrate. Stay safe, stay sane, and make sure you invite Matt Warner and his bird to the first game. <laughs>